This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. In today's episode, we focus on IRS and state audit activities with regard to credit funds. Hello, and thank you for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. I'm Jay Friedman, and I'm the leader of KPMG's hedge fund tax practice. Today, we're going to talk about both IRS and state audit activities with regard to credit funds. Joining me today are Tom Greenaway, uh, principal in our Washington National Tax Practice, focused on tax controversy services, and Diliana Antivo, a managing director in our state and local tax practice. Tom and Diliana, welcome. Thank you for having us, Jay. Hi, Jay. All right. So let's jump right in. Um, so guys, about three years ago, we heard rumors about a credit fund, supposedly a season and sell structure um, that was being audited by the IRS. And we were questioning whether this would lead to a broader campaign. Um, since then, it looks like the IRS has, at least, has, has gotten a bit more organized around this. And Tom, can you give us some background on this and, and why the IRS is looking at credit funds specifically? Sure, Jay. So foreign direct investment into the United States has grown by orders of magnitude, and it really has not been examined or, or audited at all by the IRS over the past couple decades. Uh, the IRS has also not put out any guidance, so a lot of market practices have sprung up uh, in, in, that, um, in that environment, and now the IRS says that they want to kind of shine a, shine a light on it. And Diliana, have, have we seen the states follow suit? Uh, yes, and we see audit activity that is focused on foreign loan originators uh, because they often rely on treaties to which states do not conform. We also see activity focused on season and sell uh, funds. Um, and as you know, those funds uh, they often qualify for favorable portfolio income treatment for federal purposes. There is similar treatment afforded uh, in many states. However, states often question that. Um, they're looking to determine whether the funds truly qualify for purchase loan exemptions or could be viewed as participating in the loan origination. They are also looking to assert nexus uh, being created by the independent agent that is originating loans on, on behalf of the fund that purchases the loans. And, and when we say credit funds, um, what I've been seeing is there's been a lot of funds that they've uh, started to come under exam that aren't what I would consider credit funds. They're funds that trade in, in, in debt, but often very liquid government bonds, global macro type structures. And do we have any insight as to, to how a fund selected for exam under this campaign? So Jay, uh, as as you know, when when our clients are are selected for audit, oftentimes the exam team themselves will say they don't even know why the the return was selected. And the IRS is using uh, telling saying publicly that they're using data and analytics uh, to to select these returns from a central with a centralized team. But as we've seen across uh, our cases, and as your your question suggests, there not hitting the right funds. It, it basically seems like any fund with a large amount of interest income uh, or, or, you know, interest expense is, is going to be at least, you know, in scope for these, 
for these audits. And as, as your question suggests, that's just not a, a, a narrow enough focus to pick up the, the funds that, are, that actually have this issue. And Deliana, from a state perspective, any insight? Um, so similar to what uh, Tom said, um, I don't think states are necessarily using as much data and analytics as the IRS does. However, they are targeting funds with a significant number of borrowers or economic presence um, in a state. And given that economic nexus is the law of the land in most states, post Wayfair, it's very easy for a fund to create nexus uh, in a state and be on the state's uh, radar. Additionally, the credit fund industry is relatively young. Uh, and it often relies on rules uh, that were written for traditional banking lenders, be it to source receipts. So there are often issues uh, with applying those uh, rules to the credit fund industry. And, and does being selected for a federal audit have anything to do with triggering a state audit? Uh, it depends on the issue. For example, if they are questioning season and sell uh, fund, if it qualifies for portfolio income treatment, uh, that has state implication because if it doesn't qualify for federal, it doesn't qualify for state as well. Yeah, and Jay, let me just, some of our listeners may not know, but, but the IRS and lots of state tax administrators have memorandums of understanding where they agree to share information with one another. So it absolutely increases the likelihood of uh, another ex- audit if, if, if either the IRS has got a fund under examination or vice versa, if a, if a state tax administrator has a fund under audit. Great point, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. So there's a lot of issues associated with credit funds, everything from ECI to distressed and, and a whole lot more. Um, Tom, do we have any sense of what the, the focus, at least from on the federal level, has been? Yeah, Jay, the IRS has been quite clear that they're that they just want to educate themselves and so they they don't they haven't stated an agenda in terms of uh these are the adjustments we we plan to make on funds they they basically want to learn more about the industry and learn more about the funds uh having said that of course uh eci is going to be the number one topic uh, here and we're seeing that already that that the questions are focused on loan origination, whether or not there's a U.S. trader business, and those associated sub-issues. And Diliana, you, you touched on some of the, the issues the states have been looking at. Anything to add? Yeah, on the ECI uh, point, as you know, there may be no ECI for federal purposes under a treaty, but there will be some uh, for states that don't conform to treaties. So this is often um, an issue uh, on the state side. Another um, top issue uh, that states are looking at is receipts sourcing. As I mentioned, the credit fund industry is young and often to source receipts, we need to first determine whether the fund qualifies as a financial institution. If it does, then it applies the rules uh, that were written for traditional banking lenders. If it doesn't, uh, this is where the issue is, then it has to uh, use the rules that are written for non-lending businesses. And often under these rules, interest could be excluded from uh, the receipts factor altogether, um, which uh, is not reflective, obviously, of the fund's activity if its main source of income is interest or capital gains from the sale of uh, loans uh, along with fees. And um, 
So in, in those instances, when applying the rules does not produce the desired uh, or the logical outcome, uh, states are very aggressive in trying to, you know, apportion some of uh, the income and impose tax on it. Great. And, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about specifically about the IDRs that we've been seeing. Um, Tom, what specifically have they been looking for and requesting with respect to the IDRs? Yeah, so Jay, this is, at least from the government's perspective, one of the strengths of using this campaign approach, because as, as you know, there are standard information document requests that really do get to the heart of the matter quite quickly um, that, that have been developed centrally. So, so the, you know, the initial rounds of IDRs, of course, will ask for, for work papers and, and, and things like that from the tax return preparation, but almost immediately after that, they're getting into questions around let us see your PPMs. Let us see what you told your investors around these issues, including ECI. Let us see your guidelines around ECI and avoiding ECI risk, any tax opinions, any tax memos. So again, getting right to the heart of the matter uh, within one or two rounds of information document requests. So, so these haven't necessarily been limited scope audits. These are, let me see your work papers. Let me see, let me see everything, right? Yeah, that's right, Jay. And and some of these audits, we've got to remember that the IRS audits a particular tax return for a particular tax year. So some of these campaign audits are popping up in the context of the, an audit of a 1065. So that's the you know all the information that's reported on the partnership return. Other um, audits are popping up in the context of a form 8804, which is the withholding tax form for ECI income. Um, many of the funds uh, that that do not generate ECI, of course, do not file that form. So it's a little bit unusual to have an examination of an unfiled form, but we're seeing quite a few of those as well. Gotcha. Deliana, from a state perspective? Um, on the state side, um, states have been asking for data to support filing positions. For example, if it's a cost of performance jurisdiction, they'll ask for, you know, payroll for both front office um, employees that are responsible directly for income generation, as well as back office employees. Um, or there could be other parties involved in the income generation, for example, investment committee, credit committee that receive compensation and should be factored into the analysis. So they are trying to understand the facts, how the fund works. Um, they want to be able to perform analytics based on the data uh, taxpayers provide to them. They're often questioning intercompany borrowing and lending because not all funds use their own capital to make loans. Um, so some of the IDRs, especially, you know, the second or third RDR that is sent to a taxpayer are very detailed and focused on data and documentation of filing positions. And, and what's been the government's um, reaction to our responses to the IDRs? Have there been anything in particular, both federal and state, that, that have, have triggered, you know, more questions and, 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 and another um, line of inquiry? Well, Jay, again, as, as we've experienced together, the IRS has, has said from the beginning and said publicly that they, they want to get in and out of these cases if it's, if it's not appropriate to continue them. I think it's still 
pretty early days. Uh, this campaign really only kicked off in earnest last fall. So then the IRS tends to work pretty slowly on these things. Uh, I'm still optimistic that we are going to be able to assure the government um, that our clients are thoughtful, uh, that our clients are careful, and our clients understand and apply these rules in the, in the right way. And we've been given assurances uh, that, that if that's the case, then the IRS will close the audit and move on. There certainly is a variety of practice out there in the market. Um, and, and the name of the game here is to demonstrate to the IRS that our clients are doing, um, you know, organizing their operations in the right way to avoid ECI and to avoid some of the other tax issues that we've talked about on this call. And Tom, we, we've seen them ask for for opinions, um, you know, guidelines, both internal and external, right? And I guess you know one of the issues you always have is is the only worst thing, the only thing worse than not having um, um, an opinion or a guideline is having one and not following it. Yeah, that's right, Jay. I mean, I mean operations and execution, and Diliana hit on this. I mean, an auditor, you know, a good auditor will will find instances where a taxpayer is not doing what they said they should be doing. And whether or not that's right or wrong, uh, it's a it's an opportunistic spot for the IRS to find themselves. So it's a good reminder to all of us that having a good plan and having a good set of guidelines is important. But operating and, and executing on those guidelines is absolutely essential. So what have we been seeing clients do to either help their cases or hurt their cases? Yeah, so Jay, so Jay, certainly clients can help their cases as uh, by having good, clean, organized data, as Diliana said, um, and being timely and efficient and, uh, and professional and courteous with the IRS. Uh, clients hurt their cases by um, hiding the ball, uh, by, by delaying, uh, by not engaging with the IRS. As, as I'd mentioned, this is largely viewed inside the IRS as an educational campaign um, for, for them and, and giving the IRS uh, the information as to how we've thought about these issues with our clients is important uh, and it will help our clients. And, you know, I guess a collateral benefit for the IRS is that they, they're going to learn more and more about market practices and, and market differentiation. So those clients who are off market or who are not um, following their own guidelines are the ones who are going to find themselves uh, in, in the most trouble. I wanted to address your question, Jay, from a different perspective and how uh, clients can help uh, themselves in an audit. Uh, I think one thing they could do better is be more proactive in approaching the states, especially where there is gray areas in the law, they could seek agreement upfront on certain filing positions in the form of private letter rulings or um, petitions for alternative apportionment so that there is an agreement with the state, uh, which would help eliminate future controversy activity, minimize uh, risk and um, avoid large audit assessments. Another thing they could do better is to involve tax advisors upfront because it's easier to work with an auditor and guide them uh, to reaching the correct conclusion than it is to reverse uh, a conclusion that we don't think is correct. Uh, Diliana, that's an excellent point. And, and just to, to be 
a dead horse here. The IRS is absolutely carefully coordinating these cases across the country and and really across the globe. So it makes the most sense to have a provider and an advisor who has an equally broad um, perspective. And so a firm like KPMG, of course, is engaged with hundreds of, if not thousands of clients uh, that have this issue. So we've got a really good perspective and, and we can bring that perspective to bear on, on behalf and for the benefit of our clients. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Um, so we can see there's been a lot of activity around these issues and we certainly expect more to come. Uh, on behalf of my colleagues at KPMG, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening and thank Tom and Deliana for participating and giving their insights. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions about this topic or any other topic, please feel free to reach out to either me, Tom, Deliana, or any of your KPMG contacts. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Be sure to subscribe to this series and visit read.kpmg.us forward slash talking dash asset dash management for more information.